Hi everyone and welcome to the Parma podcast. I am James Prescott, your host. Welcome to the show. Really great to be with you all again today um, and I'm really excited today. I've got two guests today. This is very rare. It doesn't happen very often and it's been a real mission to get here. You have no idea how long this took to get here um, but um, I'm delighted to welcome um, Sarah Bessie back to the show who's been on before and uh, Lisa Sharon Harper. Welcome to the show, both of you. Thank you. Um, it's really great, yeah, to, to have you. We're, we're here because um, there's a new book that's just come out um, called A Rhythm of Prayer, um, which is a collection of, of prayers for, well, it felt to me like it was a collection of prayers for the pandemic, for the 2020, mm -hmm. for everything we've been going through in the last year uh, and all the things that have, all the issues that have, that have come up um, in the last year um, uh, with some amazing contributions from so many different authors, so many amazing people. Um, mm -hmm. So, I mean, like, Sarah, how, how did this, this, this book come about? You know, it's, it's funny because I, we didn't write it at the time with the, when, again, when we were working on it, we had no idea what was looming before us in terms of a pandemic, in terms of the lockdown and all the things that began, but boy, it just, you're right. It does feel incredibly timely and, and speaking right to that moment, I think for that reason, but, you know, I had wanted to write a bit prayer for a couple of years. Um, prayer is a very integral part of my life. And oftentimes that surprises people as like, you know, progressive Gen X from Canada, you a lot of people are, are often surprised that that prayer is so um, integral to me. And so I had wanted to write about prayer for a while, couldn't really seem to find a path towards didn't feel incredibly um, prescriptive or formulaic even. And so just kind of sat on the idea for a little while. And then in 2019, um, you know, at the kind of a threshold of a season of grief and grieving for me, I realized that what I really wanted when I talked about prayer was a prayer circle. What I really needed was to gather with um, leaders and friends who I trusted to be honest about prayer, about grief, but also even about joy and about um, wonder and all the ways that we can pray throughout our life and the ways that we can learn from one another. So, you know, kind of quickly gathered together this incredibly diverse and amazing community of women and just said, talk to me about prayer, you know, write, you can write about prayer, you can can actually share your own prayers. Um, you know, and, and thankfully, you know, Lisa said yes, and, and a few other folks whom I know will mean a lot to a, a lot of your listeners. Um, and as those prayers began to roll in, I began to see that vision of a prayer circle really taking place of saying, yes, prayer can be incredibly personal, uh, private even, uh, individual, but there's something incredibly um, healing about the communal nature of prayer, about borrowing language and hope and faith from one another, about embracing not only the people who are actually with you, but even that cloud of witnesses or ancestors or that sense of time and space. So yeah, it what developed and as I began to kind of write my own prayers around theirs and my own essays and, you know, kind of have that uh, there, it became a really holy space, I think, for that very reason. Um, and I think that is represented in a lot of the the prayers, like you said, that ended up becoming really relevant for right now. Yeah, they did, and and of course, a lot of the lot of the book was written in the midst of the pandemic. I mean, there's clearly there's lots of references to it in there. 
Um, and obviously that wasn't the only thing that happened last year. We had, you know, we had um, George Floyd and we had um, kind of the, uh, I guess the emergence of anti-racism and systemic racism publicly, like more than we'd had before. Um, um, and I think it was, I think actually the, the pandemic may even have amplified it even more because people were at home, so people were paying attention. Um, and uh, that brings me to kind of to, um, to Lisa's contribution because I, um, the, the contribution she made to the book that you made, Lisa, was it was it blew me away. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it was really powerful. Uh, and um, uh, and yeah, and I'd, I'd love to hear your um, your thoughts on that because uh, on like what where that came from and it really felt like it was from the heart um so mm, yeah um so just uh, tell us a bit about your your contribution to to the book well it's funny i mean first of all i was just muted <laughs> and so i said oh thank you so much you know for your comment but nobody heard me so <laughs> anyway thank you so much um i i i like many actually of the writers of the of the um, co-authors of the book were just swamped um Lots, lots of busyness, lots of, of work, lots of advocacy that we were doing um, around that time. Because if you recall, um, around that time, it was actually in the midst of the, of the um, 2020 election cycle here in the US. And many of us were doing a lot of organizing and, and also just doing our, our lives in the midst of this craziness. And so I, I said yes, and then I think I was the very last, <laughs> the very last author to send in my prayer. <laughs> you, you weren't, but I that's wasn't. Fine. <laughs> oh, good. oh my gosh, good. You All were this not. time I felt so guilty. Okay, great. Good, you good, do good, not. Good. You're, you're, you've been absolved. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. So, but I know it was late. It was late. And, but the thing is when I realized, oh, Sarah's not asking me to write this whole long chapter treatise. She's asking for a prayer. And then I thought to myself, well, I can write a prayer. And then, and, but when I sat down to write the prayer, what came out was really a spoken word poem mm. that was a prayer. And, mm. and I also knew I had to fill up a certain number of words. <laughs> and so I allowed the flow. I didn't cut it off, right? Where you might, it might not have gone as deep as it did if I, if I had fewer words, but I actually did have a, quite a number of words that I was, I was allotted in the book. And so I allowed spirit to continue to speak and allowed prayer to continue to be uttered. And that's what came out. And I think for me, the, what, what was the prayer at the heart of the prayer was looking at the impact of COVID-19 on our nation in the US and the reality and also what it revealed. Um, both the revelation and the impact were, were devastating. The revelation was the revelation of the reality in our nation that people of color were expendable. I mean, explicitly expendable. That in the very beginning of the pandemic and around this time last year, um, they, we had it, everybody go in and shut your doors order and everybody you know, go in except for the essential quote. And that was the first time I ever heard the word essential workers. That's the way you, you spin something in order to make somebody feel good when you're putting them in danger. And that's exactly what happened. Um, we, they named black and brown people essential workers 
um, by, by and large and said, go to work. And the, the real, like, and this had happened by the time I was writing this chapter, the real, like, um, clearest manifestation of that evil policy, that evil um, worldview of, of people of color was when the meatpacking plants began, um, people, people said, I'm not going in. And President then Trump ordered them to go and, and get, those, those, get those burgers going without PPE, without um, protection, without protection from COVID. So he said, go back to work without, and we're not giving you protection. And on top of that, he had just been fighting and, it, and was still fighting to cut healthcare. So <laughs> for poor people and for, for um, working class people. So, I mean, it was, it was diabolical and it was, it was obvious. And as a result, um, all the more mournful. So what came out of me was a combination of looking at what's becoming obvious in our nation, that not only the racial divide, but the racial hierarchy of human belonging. And then on top of that, the death of George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery, and, um, and, and you have the, the whole list of names that came before and after that. Um, so there was, there was a real reckoning that happened in our nation. And I think that that reckoning uh, surfaced in my own soul. Mm, yeah, and really incredibly beautifully too, in terms of like, and so for your listeners, um, Lisa's po uh, poem or prayer is called a prayer for America. And I had the chance we did an Insta live actually me and uh, Lisa and a few other yeah. contributors, and she prayed it live on Instagram. And I nearly had to put my head between my knees because it was just like this wash of grief and lament and um, anointing and conviction and a call to repentance. I mean, it, all of those things. And again, those things go beyond the borders even of America, which she wrote, because I mean, you're in the UK and I'm in Canada. Um, that still seed of that white supremacy, that seed of that thing we're trying to, to root out of the ground was still so real, you know, crossing mm -hmm. borders. Absolutely. And now we actually have, uh, I hate to bring this up, but I'm going to, especially since you're in the UK, and we have the, the clear manifest, sorry, <laughs> I don't know if you can hear my, my phone just, my alarm just went off, forgive me for that. Um, we have a clear manifestation of white supremacy that has surfaced um, in the UK, particularly around Meghan Markle and Harry, yep. and um, you know the Duchess of Sussex, and and the question of you know how dark is the baby going to be, and and how people were afraid for that, um, and how there was there still to this day is no explanation for how uh, how uh, why um, their child is not going to be named a prince while everybody else's has been in perpetuity. Yep. Why not theirs? So I mean, we are we're watching that, and we're we're seeing the reality that this isn't just a U.S. thing. In fact, it really actually begins in the heart of empire. It begins Absolutely. in the heart and the and the impetus to colonize. And so we are, and people of color in the U.S. are simply colonized people, right? 
um, and enslaved mm -hmm. and responding to that. And so, yeah, we, we are finding that people resonate all over the world. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I, I remember watching that last uh, live, that interview, and um, I, remember, I remember when I first heard that, I, I think my jaw literally dropped to the ground. It was like, mm -hmm. I, I, it was like yeah. you know, I, I have been shocked, but I, have, I, I kind of developed a, a numbing, numbing to, to the numerous things that have shocked me in the last 12 months, but that was just yeah. like, that completely floored me. I was like, yeah, really? You know, you actually said that, you know, and uh, yeah, yeah I, I was just, I was all sorts of angry, you know. But you know what, I think, and this is the thing that, this is the truth in the US too, and I'm sure in Canada, you guys are experiencing this too, to some degree, especially around indigenous um, issues there, that this is a time of reckoning. Yeah. And reckoning is always an opportunity for health. Mm -hmm. um, it's like, it's the reckoning. It's the, it's the announcement that we have cancer. It's not that we didn't have cancer before. And it's not going to the doctor didn't cause the cancer. It's just now it's clear. And now we know because we know we've got cancer. We now know what to do about it. We, we now yeah. know that there's a remedy and um, and honestly, the first the first re the first step that we need to be taking is to go to the foot of God, to the mm -hmm. feet of God, and, and yeah. in prayer, and um, reckon with God. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And I think that that's part of it too, Lisa. Is just so many people have asked, you know, what's what's even like the point of prayer right now mm. when you are literally in the middle of the apocalypse. Wow. Um, and again, I'm from a Pentecostal background, right? So I'm right. super comfortable with words like apocalypse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> meaning it kind of in that true sense of, that Lisa was talking about, about that um, revelation, yeah. right? The revelation mm -hmm. um, and things have been dragged kicking and screaming into the light, yes. you know, maybe even when we had this tacit need to keep it quiet, whether it was essential workers or it was how we treat our elders and the most vulnerable, you right. know, all of these different things. And I think that what we see then is this, this is a tremendous invitation to prayer, that this is part of your activism. This is part of what grounds you in, in um, a tradition. I think for too long, we've seen, you know, a, a contemplative prayer life somehow at odds with really strong, um, robust engagement in daily justice work. And mm -hmm. instead, you know, when we have all these different voices together, like Lisa's, you know, and so many others, this, this means you get to bring all of that to God, right? Yeah. Your rage, your anger, your grief, your lament, your, your mm -hmm. questions, right? Even your demands of God. I mean, I think the Bible is so much more honest about prayer than we usually are. Mm -hmm. And that's having a space for that and carving that out, I think is so important right now when we're experiencing this collective trauma, this collective um, grief and pandemic moment, mm -hmm. but all of the things that have also been revealed because of it. Right. And so yeah. I think to me, it, yeah, it just, it makes perfect sense why that invitation is there right now and why, so, why it's resonating with so many people, because mm -hmm. I think some part of us understands that longing and that need to name that and mm -hmm. grapple with it both in prayer, but, you know, and, and seeing prayer, not as a side accessory to our engagement, but central to it. If that mm -hmm. makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I admit I've, I've struggled with prayer for a long time. Um, I mean, I've been on a kind of trans, a kind of faith transformation journey, um, and yeah, prayer has been difficult for me for a while. It was even more difficult last year, 
Uh, and it's mm-hmm. important for me now to just, because I don't have the words a lot of the time. You know, mm. uh, just mm. not the words anymore. You know, there's actually something called moaning prayer. You should try it. There's mm. something literally called moaning prayer. It is when you don't have the words. And it's just allowing the sound in your gut, in your heart, in your belly to rise up. It's the kind of prayer that enslaved people prayed on in the bottoms of slave ships. Mm-hmm. or no joke and also in in slave cabins they would moan because there were no words to hold the grief mm-hmm. so try it i you might try it that's a good invitation i admit reading this book uh and the way it's the way it's written it's, it's divided up into three sections um mm-hmm. and that's that's really helpful um but mm. it's not like something you need to read from cover to cover, <laughs> you know, you can kind of dip in and out depending on where you are and what you're feeling and what you're experiencing. And I've, I've, I've definitely, it's definitely helped me pray. Mm. Mm. Um, definitely. I mean, mm. uh, there's, mm. yeah, there's so many amazing people who've contributed, you know, I, I can't even remember all of them because there's so many, you know, you've got <laughs> Barbara Town, Barbara Brown Taylor and, and, and Caitlin Curtis, yeah. You know all these, and which are, who are all amazing people, great authors as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Stephanie's Stephanie's um, reflection mm-hmm. on disability is incredibly powerful, um, especially yeah. in the pandemic and you know the impact of that on. Um, and Leah Joy's piece on it on um, disability was amazing. Yeah, and she she yeah. also read her piece live um, on our inst- on my Instagram live with with Sarah, Aaliyah Joy, and um, Sandra Van Opstel. It was amazing. It was so good. Yeah, yeah. it really was. Sounds like it was yeah. incredible. You know, I think that that's one of the things that I I love so much about the book is the naming and honoring and blessing as sacred. These experiences and voices and prayers that are so often silenced or marginalized. Um, I mean, reading Aaliyah Joy's um, essay about prayer through the lens of mental illness and bipolar disorder, um, reading um, Stephanie's liturgy for disability, um, having these uh, incredible guides. And, and like you were saying, James, so many times when we lose our pathways of prayer, um, we need to almost rest in the language in prayers of others. And mm. that's even, even that is good and holy work, right? I think oftentimes we have this idea in our head of what it means to pray or how it looks and you have to have, you know, have the words and have the things. And I think the permission um, and invitation even of, of the silence, of the moaning, of resting in each other's um, words, it gives us language for those unutterable things, right? That yeah. are often in, in, in our hearts, especially right now. Yeah. And also, I really liked what you said um, last time we talked about this, Sarah, that that the circle actually um, offers strength for those who can't pray. We can lean on the prayers of those who can. Right. So that's kind of what you're experiencing, James. Right. By reading these prayers, you don't have the prayers, you don't have the words, but you can actually lean on the words of someone else. It's actually at the heart of what liturgy is. Right. So. It, yeah. becomes, it becomes a way to lean on the faith of the saints, even the current day saints that are among us. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, liturgy has always been 
my whole life has always been the way I've accessed the divine um, most intimately. Um, I mean, mm. I'm part of a contemplative mm. community which uses liturgy and we use Taze and we use, um, um, you mm. know, Celtic, Celtic kind of liturgies and stuff. And it, mm. uh, and it's it's incredible, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's really, mm -hmm. I've had some really incredible experiences doing that. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, this That's book lovely. is kind of like a modern, like a modern liturgy of prayer in many ways. It is actually, it does. And it reads that way as well. I think that honestly, for me, as I, as I read through this book and, and then through the prayers, I, I was literally blown away by many of them and um, several of them really stuck out to me. But the thing that really strikes me is the fact that first of all, they're all women. And mm -hmm. um, that was really like, wow. And that so many of the women are women of color um, which is so unusual to have a book with such a diverse group of, um, of prayers. And as a result, you really do get this incredible, and not just women of color, but also disabled. I mean, you know, also generationally um, diverse. You just, you just get this full orbed experience of the heart, of the heart, the, the heartbeat of the world in this moment, right? Um, and and our longings as a, as a human race, as it, this, is what, this is what humanity is longing for in this moment. And I love that it's the women because the women are always the most, um, they have the greatest access to that space in their soul. It's mm -hmm. easier access for the women usually anyway. Yeah, I thought it was amazing that it was, that it was, that it was entirely women that contributed. It was, I thought it was really powerful and needed as well. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, we've had enough of, of I've had enough of um, white men doing everything. Else. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I say that as a white man. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, you're you right. You can. <laughs> <laughs> we'll let you do that. We'll let you go there. We'll let you. <laughs> I think that that gets down to like even... Um, that wasn't necessarily a stated intention of mine at the beginning, but as oh. it became really apparent of who I wanted to hear from, uh, of who I trusted, um, of who felt like a sanctuary to me. Um, these were these were the women who, um, who I knew I could trust. I think especially because I was in a, a season myself of really acute grief from losing Rachel uh, Held Evans um, mm -hmm. right when I was very first at the beginning of writing this book. And there was this sense. I think um, I think it's Amina in her prayer where she talks about how in order to hear God, you have to um, be willing to experience what's holy in places that a lot of people don't deem as sacred. Mm. And wow, I that's gave me chills. Right, right. Mm -hmm. I mean, again, yeah. this is one of those things where because I had the privilege of kind of shepherding the book and the prayers of these women, they would come in you know, to my email inbox and I was in you know, just a, a very different place than I had been, you know, e emotionally, spiritually, physically, even um, as I, you know, I'm still kind of adapting to a, a new normal of living with chronic illness myself. There's this sense of, I remember just printing them off on my printer and just tucking them into my Bible and carrying them with me and just feeling mm -hmm. so incredibly held and transformed. Like these were Psalms that were written for today. Wow. And so then when I, be, that gave me my own runway back to prayer, 
right? Mm -hmm. That gave me my own runway back to that kind of authenticity, that kind of honesty, that kind of longing and articulation. Um, And I was incredibly grateful for it. And that's why it's, mm. it's always gratifying when it like connects with other people too. But it's like at, the, at this point, it, you know, meant so much to me personally um, that everything else just almost feels like gravy. right? <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And you mentioned Rachel as well. And I, I felt her, I kind of, in some ways I felt her imprint all over the, all through the book. there was like a, a just a sense of, uh, I don't know how I would call it presence, I guess, but just mm. it, she was part of that book, even though she didn't contribute to it. You know, she did contribute yeah. to it in a way. Um, well, I think that Rachel was a part of a very um, powerful <clears throat> and a large stream, <clears throat> excuse me, of women and men, but especially women who have been pushing, mm-hmm. who have been speaking and um, uh, challenging the, the norms within the church that are counter to brown Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. Counter to, um, to the God who, who, who went out of his way for the Samaritan woman um, and and empowered her to be the very first evangelist in scripture, right? Like there's, there's a lot of women and many of those women are in that book. Like many of, they are the women, right? So yeah. it's, it's, it's not surprising that you felt Rachel all over the book because we were in community. Many of us were in community with her and we all influenced each other. She influenced us, we influenced her. Um, and so she very much still lives. And I think you're right that her voice is all over it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think Rachel was, like you said, was in community with, right? Mm-hmm. And she was always someone who saw that, um, that through, saw things through that lens. And one of the things that I think that um, she taught me and has taught so many of us um, was something that she learned often at the feet of the women who were in this book, right? Mm-hmm. That you've got to redraw the center of God's story squarely in the yeah. margins that there's a whole new geometry with God. And, um, Mm -hmm. and so seeing that so beautifully and compellingly represented in language, um, you know, to me, that feels like grace and also an invitation and a challenge, Mm -hmm. a little bit of a middle finger to the patriarchy, which always feels good. And, you know, there's this, (laughs) there's this, sense of blessing um and rightness to it for me for sure um it'll always be i hope have a really really tender spot for me for that reason mm, yes mm-hmm. absolutely so we're kind of coming to the end but just one i'd just like to hear one thing from each of you that what what the book meant to you and what you what contributing to this book meant for you and what your hope would be for people who read it mm. you go first lisa i'd love to hear your answer well, I actually, I, I've been really surprised by people's response to my prayer. I mean, this is a first draft. It literally, I did one draft and sent it to Sarah because I was so late. <laughs> and so I really did not know how people were going to respond. But I think that, I mean, Sarah tells me she's getting word that some people have done it live in their churches or yep. 
you know, they're actually doing it as liturgy. I know that another young woman um, read it, read it live, not live, but aloud on Instagram, and it's gotten a lot of, you know, watches. And so that's, I'm encouraged. And it's what you really hope for. You really hope that when you write something, and in particular, when you pray um, in a, for a book like this, that it will become a collective prayer. And that it is coming, becoming a collective prayer, not only prayed by a black woman, but also by white women and white men mm -hmm. is, is honestly humbling and oh my gosh, like that's, that's, that's the goal. That's, that's the vision right there. When, when white women and men can pray this, can pray, oh God, intervene, save us, mm -hmm. strike Saul from his horse again, get in his face and ask him, why are you waging war against my image in your land? Rip scales from eyes before it is too late, oh God. Help them to see, help them to see, help all to see. Amen. Mm. And we're mm. getting somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Oof, that gave me chills. Yeah. I think, I think probably, and I know we don't have a ton of time left, but I think probably my biggest longing and, and hope for the book um, was to show people I think, especially if they're on the other side of a faith shift, um, where the things that used to be their foundations or the things that they, they've realized that a lot of their church or their theology of the discipleship was actually built on shifting sand, right? Which is often rooted in a lot of the damaging powers and principalities we've even named here in this meeting. Um, that for those folks that you still get to pray. Mm -hmm that it's not just for one kind of person or one kind of moment in your life, that you get to bring your whole self to prayer, that um, not in spite of your doubts or your questions or your anger or wherever it is, but because of it, um, you know, that there's this invitation, I think, that you to say that you still get to cry out to God. You still get to sit in silence with presence of gratitude. You still get to um, cultivate an awareness and a language uh, and a conversation that's always been happening, whether we knew it or not. And I think that um, we're seeing the fruit of that right now. And it makes me really grateful, really grateful to be locked arms with Lisa and with all of the contributors to know that that will be a big part of the legacy, I think, is, is seeing people reimagine um, prayer and re-enter conversations with the divine that maybe they have longed for or be missing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you both for coming on the show and talking about this. It's been really, really beautiful, really incredible. Um, and again, I recommend the book to everybody. Um, Rhythm of Prayer, it's available everywhere you can get books right now. Um, and it's been doing very well, I think as well rightly so <laughs> i'm really pleased yeah <laughs> uh, um so where can people connect with both of you you can connect with lisa with me um at lisasharonharper.com um or at freedomroad.us freedomroad is the the um uh, consulting group and institute that i run and founded and also on social media at lisa s harper on Instagram and Twitter and at Lisa Sharon Harper on Facebook. 
Fantastic. Good. And if you just go to sarahbessie.com, you'll find jump off points for everything from social media to my newsletter field notes and Evolving Faith, which is a community that um, I continue to co-lead as well. So everything's all there, just sarahbessie.com. Fantastic. Thank you both. And, uh, and thanks for listening, everybody. Um, Look at us sliding in under the mat.